passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome to the September edition of Post Piero Rasu here at postwrestling.com. WH Park is back. It was only a month ago that the G1 concluded. We had WH on for three consecutive nights. He needed to go back, rejuvenate. He is here. And first of all, WH, it feels like in wrestling years that the G1 was three months ago and not simply one. Yeah, I suppose. Uh, if you only watch New Japan for your Japanese fix, it might seem like such a long time ago. Personally, I, I've been watching a ton of wrestling in between, so it doesn't feel that long for me. Right. You know? Well, we have lots to discuss this month as uh, New Japan is moving forward. We're also going to go into all the latest that is happening in all Japan uh, with Pro Wrestling Noah. We're going to chat a bit about Stardom's five-star Grand Prix the recent uh, Yoshihiro Takayama benefit show, and we are going to introduce a new feature. We are going to get some of WH's recommendations of the month. He is going to give us his show of the month, his match of the month, and his wrestler of the month. Maybe maybe he'll even squeeze in best gear of the month if, if something uh, struck his fancy over the past uh, 30 days. But all of that is to come. I guess we can start off with New Japan. Because this coming weekend uh, is the first of their three major uh, destruction shows. Uh, they are currently on tour. And you know what? Actually, let's look uh, backwards. Uh, when this tour started, which was just over the past week, highlighted by a tag match at Corcune Hall with the Golden Lovers against Tomohiro Ishii and Will Ospreay. And WH, I think this goes to the fact that you're getting so much wrestling thrown at you that it's sometimes hard to process. I thought this was one of the best tag matches this year. What were your thoughts on it? Oh, I absolutely loved it. Um, I'm a big fan of uh, oddball, odd couple like tag teams, and I don't think it gets any more odd couple-ish than <laughs> Tomohiro Ishii and uh, Will Ospreay. <laughs> but they, they work really well together, I think, probably because they've you know been part of the same faction for the last, oh, I don't know, two years now. It's how long Ospreay's been in New Japan. Um you know, I think one of the things I, I liked about this match was that it, it, it showed Osprey back in the spotlight. Like during the G1, he kind of much, he pretty much disappeared. Yeah. And he was wrestling in Australia and back in the UK and, and doing some shows over in New Zealand as well while he was in the southern hemisphere of, of our dear planet here. Um, and, you know, he's been having a hell of a summer as well. He just doesn't get you know, the accolades because he wasn't on, you know, readily available streaming service or anything like that. But, I've been trying to check out some of his stuff, like in other par- other parts of the world. It's it's pretty good stuff, you know. Definitely check out his stuff. Uh, the match he had with Devlin, Jordan Devlin, in progress. I think it was Progress Chapter Seventy Two. Excellent match. Go out anyway to see that. But I absolutely love this match. I thought, for me, the big takeaway is that Will Osprey is going to become a heavyweight in 2019. He blended in seamlessly in this match and. I would love to see Ishii and Osprey together for the tag league. I think that would be a great kind of uh pivot point for Osprey to just be part of that tournament. And, you know, I, I've been advocating for this for a while of kind of uh relaxing the lines between heavyweight and junior heavyweight, uh, in particular in the tag division, which that almost seems to be like where some of the junior heavyweights can start like dipping their toe in. We now have the bucks that are, you know, full, full fledged heavyweight. Tag wrestlers in New Japan that that could be uh, a way for Osprey to to move in there because you're right I I think that you know there's there's a certain level with the junior heavyweights at the moment and just a whole world of opponents for this guy at heavyweight in 2019. Yeah, I, I don't think that he's long for the junior heavyweight division. I think 
the, my 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 feeling is that New Japan looks at him as this kind of contingency plan as well as if you know Omega and the Bucks leave to go to WWE in January, then they got someone to slot in as p- being part of their like you know further their global expansion. Okay, we lost Omega. Who can we slot in there to take his place? Kind of well. You know, the most logical choice, for, in my opinion, would be Will Ospreay. Uh, he has such a, you know, like an appeal across the world in the UK, in North America, that it would be not not easy to replace Omega, but it, it would lessen the blow if you could slot Ospreay into that role. I think your idea of like, you know, like blurring the lines of heavyweight junior. I, 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 always, I always advocate the idea of a, a big star in the junior heavyweight division teaming with a heavyweight star. Uh, they did it to success in in all Japan with Kojima and Kaz Hayashi. They were tag champs there, and it, no one batted an eye about it. I think you could easily, you know, when Hiromu comes back, you could put him in with Naito as a tag team, and that would be his transition into like the heavyweight division as well. Um, yeah, I, I just feel like there's this thing, this, this kind of buzz around Osprey in within the company, you know, that they like he got so much offense against both Omega and Ibushi. Uh, and he, I, I think that the whole thing with Ibushi as well, like, if if you're not going to do that at Wrestle Kingdom, I can see that maybe planning towards that, but that would be a great feature match for the Madison Square Garden show in, uh, in during WrestleMania weekend. Yeah, yeah, there's a... L- there's so many cards on the table. I'm really curious what fills out King of Pro Wrestling in October because the match announcement for September kind of threw off all my expectations for October that, yeah, they're certainly building to Osprey and Ibushi and, and eventually doing the Omega Ibushi rematch as well. So where they spread out all these cards uh, is interesting. Um, as well with Power Struggle in November, how big of a show do they make that? Because I did not anticipate uh, such big matches being thrown out in September. Uh, just one other note just from the, uh, the, the shows uh, from this past weekend. Uh, Satoshi Kojima made his return. Uh, he tore his ACL at the beginning of the year, missed a G1 as a result. Uh, he is going to be turning 48 years old this week, WH. What kind of role do you see Satoshi Kojima having uh, from this comeback Onward is he going to be largely reserved for your opening eight man tags, similar to a Yuji Nagata, Manabu Nakanishi role? Do you see him and Tenzon having one last run uh, for a feud with the Gorillas of Destiny? Where where do you see Satoshi Kojima fitting in at the age of forty eight uh, on this pretty loaded roster that they have? Yeah, Kojima's I think role should be like in terms of like a tag team wrestler. Teaming with a young with a young guy, you know, like giving a rub to either like say someone like Kushida, you know, Kushida and Kojima would make a pretty cool tag team, or Kojima maybe Shota Amino form a tag team, and they like I always feel tag teams like a veteran and a younger guy in a tag team is is the best like learning experience for a younger guy. Like you look at like classic tag teams like you know Art Anderson and Ole Anderson. I, I assume like a lot of things that Arn Anderson learned and how to become a great pro wrestler, he learned under the tutelage of Ole Anderson. Like you could do that with Kojima and say Shota Mino. That'd be perfect. I, I don't know where he's going. Forty eight, but you know, he doesn't look forty eight. He he's on the Liger, you know, workout system. He looks amazing. For, no, for a guy who loves eating bread so much, you know what I mean? <laughs> he's he's big on the carbs and you know, hardly is wearing the the damage that a Tenzon has, for instance. I mean, the, the Kojima can still, like, he picks his spots. He's very smart with, you know, when he's going to go all out, but can have uh, great performances. I really like your idea that, you know, we've we've discussed, like, this potential for the tag league. I, I would love some of these mixing of heavyweights and junior heavyweights in the tag league. Uh, I, I think it's a way to emphasize some of the younger guys. Like, could you... I think Kushida teaming with Kojima. I think that Osprey and Ishii, you get all these kind of interesting tag matches um, that could, by the end of it, really benefit by having a, maybe an unsuspecting team go over to get the title shot. And that's kind of your, your blending with some of the junior heavyweights. I, I always look at the tag league as something where you can do a lot more with it. It doesn't really have the spotlight of nowhere near the G1, but I always think that you can have a lot of fun with your tag matchups at the end of the year. 
Yeah, I, I, that's just indicative of the way I think New Japan looks at their their tag team titles these days. Um, so they don't put much emphasis in their own you know tag tournaments. So uh, it, it's it's a shame. It could be like like you and I both are saying. There's so much that can be done with a with a well booked tag division. Uh, so looking ahead, uh, this Saturday they're in uh, Hiroshima with uh, Kenny Omega and Tomohiro Ishii. That was a uh, a lot of people's choice for best match of the G1. Then on Monday they've got uh, Naito taking on Suzuki along with Hiroki Goto against Taichi for the never open weight championship. And then the the big destruction cards conclude a week uh, from Sunday in Kobe with Hiroshi Tanahashi and Kazuchika Okada for the championship shot at Wrestle Kingdom, as well as the kickoff of the junior heavyweight title tournament, because it is now vacant with Hiromu Takahashi uh, gone indefinitely. Uh, what did you think of the, these uh, lineups when they were announced, WH? Because I, I was certainly not expecting uh, Omega against Ishii and Tanahashi versus Okada before the month of September was up. Well, I, the, the Tanahashi-Okada match, I figured would be on one of the big destruction shows. The Omega Ishii match, I thought they were going to save for King of Pro Wrestling. Um, I have no idea what they're going to put in that because that's like, you know, that's kind of like one of their big four, big five shows of the year because um, it's going to be at uh, Sumo Hall. Um, it's got to be Toriano. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be Toriano, yeah. In a, in a tape, uh, tape your wrist match to the barrier. Uh, I can actually see them doing that at, at, at Long Beach. As an official stipulation? Uh, not not as the stipulation. Maybe not the stipulation, but at least uh, that match. I really hope they hold off on Omega and Ibushi and don't just put it there in October. I think that you're... I, I think that September is kind of a month where, you know, you're you're just coming off such a big high in August that you're coming back so quick with some of these big matches that you do want to pace them all out and... You know, they have more shows than ever, big shows than ever that they're planning. Uh, and you're seeing that, that the effects of all these shows like Long Beach is a card you're pr- pretty much not going to know until the week of what's going to make up that lineup. And now they've got other things to plan for. Like you're going to have Sakura Genesis and the Madison Square Garden show happening probably within a week of each other next April. Yeah, I don't know what like for me, uh, like I don't know what they're thinking the new japan office but they must be nervous about january you know what's going to happen in like with contracts especially omega like i think they're prepared to let the bucks go if they decide to go to the wb i don't know if they're prepared to let omega go because they do have you know this these plans surrounding him part of their you know their quote-unquote global expansion but i really think they really really want to do the the ibushi match like as as a big attraction for a big big card not as a not not a throwaway match on the in the g1 because it was a you know pretty important pack imagine it drew a lot of people for the saturday show for the for the uh g1 finals at budokan but yeah i i don't see them throwing it on king of pro wrestling i don't like as big a show that is it's not wrestle kingdom um there's talk that they might want to do it for a madison square garden but i don't see them doing that either because like he he might not be in the company. To me, like loading up September just shows to me that they want to get a lot of these matches out of the way, clear the decks. So I could probably see them putting, you know, King of Pro Wrestling is the is the spot for Ibushi and Omega. It's it's such a you know, they've run into this problem now consistently where you have Kenny Omega and his deal coming due at this time of the year. And it just makes it so, you know, strategically difficult that if his deal was up in May every year or June, like, you know, you know that that's kind of the unofficial end of their calendar year might be December. But for their booking, like, that's kind of everything kind of leads up to Dominion because then you're starting to book the G1, which is going to carry your plans through Wrestle Kingdom that you kind of want to know who's here beyond Wrestle Kingdom. And it becomes very difficult to be booking this when you you don't know if someone's going to leave. And forever, that really wasn't a big threat that guys were going to leave. But now it is. It's a different world for them. And having these deals that come due January is kind of the worst time because you just you can't really plan things. 
if you don't know who's going to be here beyond January. That that could be someone's wrap-up is at Wrestle Kingdom instead of just the start of their year. Yeah, and you know, before it used to be they only had one-year deals. Like, the entire roster would just be signed to a year deal. Renew the deal. Renew the deal. And it'd be, 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 the, be this big kind of, like, you know, you know, kind of stressful situation for the talent and for the fans because they all knew that these guys' deals were up at, at the beginning of the year, kind of, for, for a lot of the towns. They'd be like, oh, who's resigning? Who's not resigning? And people would, would like not be resigned or people decide not to resign with New Japan. So it, it's a good thing that they decided to get rid of that system and go with, like, on average, I think they're like three year deals now. Um, and this is a company that really loves long term booking. Like, it, it's so, like, you look at Okada, you look at, I suppose, you know, if, if everything plays out into 2020, the Naito is going to, you know, fulfill his destiny in, in two years' time, according to a lot of other to what a lot of other people are saying. Um, so I, I can't imagine like they're looking at Kenny's situation. They probably thought when we're going to put the title on him, he's going to stay. He's not going to go to the WWE. But then they probably didn't envision that the WWE would have all this cash available to them from all these TV deals from Saudi Arabia deal, where like. For me, my opinion is that like the WB is going to do everything they can uh, to sign anyone that can that can you know that can hurt their business domestically. So I think they're going to do everything they can to, to, to prevent all in two from ever happening. I think they're going to do everything they can to make sure that the uh, Madison Square Garden card is going to be uh, less star-studded than like Ring of Honor and New Japan hope it will be. So we'll see. Like I, I don't, I don't foresee like the WB not parking up a, a an armored truck up to each of these guys' house and just saying, "Hey, you see all this cash? It's yours. Just sign on the dotted line." And I can see them giving them like some degree of creative control. They're not going to NXT. They're going to main roster straight away. You know what I mean? So we'll see. Like I, I can't. I I gotta say, like probably Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks are probably in the best position of any wrestling world short of Chris Jericho. But wait, WH, you're overlooking what what happens if Kenny Omega were to walk out on Raw and he doesn't know where the hard camera is. Well, I'm sure they'll I'm sure AJ will coach him. You know, they'll like send AJ to hang out with Kenny Omega at, at big arena saying, there's a hard camera. Make sure you hit your cues. Make sure you know like when we go to commercial break and all this stuff. You know, and then I'm sure he'll be happy. He'll can, he can do up, up, down, down with Xavier Woods. You know, talk about video games. That might be a big thing for him as well. It's, yeah, it, it's it's going to probably be the biggest story um, over the next you know six to eight months is where all these guys end up because I look at it from you know you come off an event like All In. It's really hard to fathom these guys giving up what they might be only. You know, it might just be the tip of the iceberg thus far of what they've hit upon. Like, who knows how much bigger they can make all this? And for the Bucks to give up their their merchandise empire, for Kenny Omega, who lives in Japan, um, there's always a price. There's always an amount that you just have to look and say, this is nuts. I can't say no to this. And the only question is, how high does the WWE go? And they are... They are armed with more now than ever that they can drive that as high as possible. Like, can you see this being something where they offer them, you know, two million guaranteed a year? Yeah, I, I and I, I can also see it being a situation where New Japan is going to say, we're not matching that. We can't, you know, definitely not for the Bucks. And Kenny, Kenny's like, you know, kind of borderline if they're going to match or, or, you know, like outbid the WB. I don't think they're going to because like at some point they have to just be like realistic and think about like where they're going to have to, you know, budget for other people and budget for like other considerations, like in terms of production and like maybe expansion into the United States, like of like, you know, resources there. Right. Yeah, it was I was listening to uh, WrestleNomics this week, and this might have been a talking point they heard from uh, the Voices of Wrestling crew that I hadn't really given much thought to, but makes a lot of sense is. After all this, it's kind of amazing that Ring of Honor hasn't just handed over booking control to these guys. Like, who has created more stars than these guys on their YouTube series? And, like, to me, that would be something like, do these guys want to form their own promotion and take over all the headaches of that? 
I don't know if they're necessarily interested in that element. If you have a ring of honor that can take care of all of the logistical issues and you guys put together the best product that we can have, here is booking control. Yeah, I can see Ring of Honor and like with Cody and the Bucks, you know, sharing booking duties or giving them control of of the promotion uh, creatively. But you know, like I I don't know if like Kenny Omega would be part of that. Like, and there's no, no way no. they're giving Kenny Omega any control <laughs> in New Japan outside of like maybe parts of his like his own uh, like programs and stuff like that. Yeah, I'm looking at like Cody and the Bucks. I think that would be. I mean, I mean, those are the three that really spearheaded all of this. Uh, all in stuff, and Kenny's like the uh, the big famous uh, cousin that comes comes and drops in in Ring of Honor land. Well, uh, let's go quickly. Just ending off here. Um, do you expect to see Neville before the end of the month in New Japan in their junior heavyweight division? Yes, I mean, if we look at why did he leave the WB? Why did he walk out uh, of his contract? He didn't like the way he was booked. He was on 205 Live, and you know, like he's he's losing to Enzo. So it's it's a two part thing. It's like one, he's making less money than when he was on the main roster. Uh, he he lost the belt to Enzo, so now he's lost all the house so money because usually like 205 Live is like the the the, the cruiserweight champion is the only one who goes on the on the road, I think. Um, and so he lost like all this ability to make money <laughs> in the company that he works for. So and then he's like in in these shitty programs with like a guy who can't lace his big, can't lace his boots. So I can see him going to the W to New Japan Pro Wrestling because realistically it's the only option in Japan that that can pay him a pretty good you know pretty good wage for his services and leaves the door open for him to work the UK. He can do Rev Pro shows. Because uh, they have the relationship with RevPro, he can go to OTT in Ireland because they have the relationship there. I'm sure he could probably go do some shots over in uh, Germany for WXW. He can definitely do like tons of indies in the United States, AAW, Ring of Honor, of course, Pro Wrestling Guerrilla. You know the, but but have New Japan be his base, kind of like what what Osprey has. You know, um, he could have that kind of deal. I'm sure he looks at someone like Osprey more so than any others and thinks. I, I could have a career like this guy. He travels the world. He makes a lot of money. His asking price is really high. And he has the security of working tours for New Japan Pro Wrestling. He's a big star because of it. Um, I don't see – like his, his history in Japan is more towards Dragon Gate, obviously. But like that company is in such turmoil these days and like their box office has suffered for it that I don't know if they can afford uh, someone like Neville slash Pac. Yeah, the the fact that, you know, Battle of Los Angeles is going on this weekend and he wasn't announced for anything, which I would think they would have wanted him on a show like that, uh, that suggests to me there's a pretty high probability that he could show up even this weekend um, with, with New Japan. That just seems like such a perfect fit for him uh, now that he is uh, free and, and ready to go. So we will find out. Uh, and final thing here is they do have the Long Beach show at the end of the month and it's not airing live here in the U.S. on Access TV. You will be able to watch it on New Japan World. But to me, that that almost kind of defeats the purpose of coming over and you're running these shows to try and expand your audience on Access. And they're going to air it on like a five-day tape delay on the Friday night. Uh, to me, it just seems that you're if you're Access, you're just driving everybody to New Japan World that – might want to check this out because I, I don't know how much demand there will be to watch this five days later, um, which in, in wrestling is is like three weeks. It's just um, I don't know if people are going to wait five days to watch this when they can have the option right there. So that's a puzzling choice by Access TV, but it's a card as well that this one has not lit the Walter Pyramid on fire. No, it's only three matches announced so far, and there's no Japanese talent announced, which to me, tells me that this is kind of like their their experiment. They're you know dipping the, the the toe in the water of like, can we sell a show just based on our foreign talent, our non Japanese talent? And you know, I checked the the Walter Pyramid uh, Long Beach ticket website to see what kind of tickets were available, and like uh, only three sides of the floors and two of the one hundred sections have been sold out. 
<laughs> and then there's seven sections that have like low availability, so they're pretty well sold out, sold. But there's six, you know, six sections that have a medium availability of tickets and two with a high. So there's two whole sections that there's like pretty much no tickets sold. Uh, that's not going to look good on TV. You know what I mean? Because it seems like the way the, the, the seating map look, like all the seats are pretty much spread out. There's like these, the sections that are sold are kind of like not necessarily together. Uh, there's one whole section that's like high availability for tickets on the floor. So I, I don't know what they're going to do if they can't, you know, move more tickets within what, two, three weeks now. Yeah, I mean, they've got to roll out the rest of this card because, yeah, as you said, right now it's Juice Robinson and Cody for the U.S. title, the Young Bucks against the Gorillas for the tag titles, and then Will Ospreay against Marty Skrull. That's all that's been announced. And I would assume that after Omega's title defense this weekend, they can announce his involvement on this show, and hopefully that can move some tickets. But the Walter Pyramid is, you know, it's bigger than the Long Beach Convention Center, but it's still only a 4,700-seat venue. It's not a a giant building by any stretch. Yeah, and they kinda... keep going back to California. I, I, I got to imagine that, you know, they're, they're disappointed with the – with the performance of their, their Cow Palace show, like they seem to just be getting diminishing returns for a lot of their, you know, U S based, uh, live events. Um, like to me, like their, their branding of these shows as new Japan exclusive shows is not working. Like they have to announce people don't just want to see the new Japan logo slapped on something. They want to see Tanahashi. They want to see Okada. They want to see Naito. They want to see Omega and you know Ibushi on these cards ahead of time, and they they did say that they these talents are going to be on the show recently, but they didn't say what matches are going to be in because you know they they can't because their their cards haven't been finalized, the results haven't come in for the shows that that are really important to them, the ones that are in Japan. And my own opinion is that I I don't know like if I necessarily agree with this idea of a global expansion by trying to do more shows in like across the world, especially in the United States, for two reasons. One, like their home and their priority has is always going to be and should always be Japan. Like that's where they should save their big shows, their big matches. Um and like you're gonna burn out this roster, like by sending them back and forth. It's a thirteen hour, you know, plane ride from most cities in the United States back to Japan. It's it's not a fun trip. I can't imagine like the toll it's going to take on a lot of these guys when if they keep doing it like every every two months like doing okay we're going to do two week tour three week tour in Japan we're going to take one week off then we're going to go to the United States and then for a weekend and then we're going to come back and then we're going to go back and then we're going to come back after each tour it's it to me it's nuts like I can imagine a lot of those guys just saying fuck this I don't want to work here anymore because it, it's taking a toll on my body like no Japanese promotion no Japanese wrestlers ever really had to deal with a situation where they might have to be touring not only for three weeks straight on, on riding in a bus or on the bullet train or something to different locations but then after that tour is finished you know traditionally they get two weeks off two three weeks off then oh hey you're gonna you're gonna go to the united states for you know a week or two do some shows i, I can't imagine that's a f- appealing does regardless of whether you're working for new japan or not you know yeah, it's, you know, you, you come off the G1 if you're a Kenny Omega and then, you, you know, you have three weeks off, then you're doing this big match with Pentagon and then you're immediately flying back and you're doing all these tag matches leading up to the Ishii rematch and then you know that Long Beach is not going to be a throwaway night for Omega either, that it's more and more these big matches are expected and yeah, you're right, it it takes a toll and when you're flying across the world, like, I, I don't think you ever get to a point where you're excited to get on that plane ride for that amount of hours to be uh, going across the world and back like a ping pong ball. So that's, you know, all indications is that, that this is only going to intensify for these guys. And you're right. How much of this starts to really wear on the guys that one, one of the perks of New Japan is the fact that you are not wrestling crazy all out singles matches Every single night, you have the benefit of tags and having that time off. How much of that time off is going to be compromised now that the company is trying to expand its base into the U.S., but also maintaining that presence in Japan as well? And and how 
how many guys are going to be looking at that as something that if we're, if we're too into this extent, if we ever get to the point where there's a regular U.S. touring uh, squad that, you know, at this point, WWE starts to become appealing because I'm working just as much. Only the travel is insane for me that I'm doing all of this without much downtime on top of some of these guys that have to balance this with Ring of Honor or other outside dates. Yeah, you look at like some of the pointers that have been with them for quite a while, like like the Tongans. I don't know that they do any indies in the United States. They just seem to do New Japan and then you know go back to fly back home and just take the time off. I don't I don't ever call call Carl Anderson ever doing like like. No, he just went home. (laughs) He just went home. Like AJ uh, was a maniac. AJ just did everything. Yeah, Juice is like that. Juice does I think maybe one or two shows. Maybe if he feels like it, like when he's back in the United States, but otherwise he doesn't do anything. David Finley doesn't do anything. It's like the crazy guys like Osprey and uh, the Bucks who like just go everywhere and work and, and get their name out. I think they're workaholics and they just love performing. But like for the Japanese talent, particularly, I don't think they're going to be too keen on doing that kind of a schedule, though, you know. Uh, let's move on outside of uh, New Japan. Uh, Shingo Takagi has announced that he will be leaving Dragon Gate, working as a freelancer after the October 7th show. Uh, what does this mean for Dragon Gate, uh, a guy that's that's been there, came up through their system, and has been there for the last 14 years? Well, it just shows that there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes for him to leave. Um, that being said, I'm not that surprised because in the last like two years or so he's he's done a lot of outside gigs like special appearances for places like you know for ricky choshi's power hall shows for big japan pro wrestling uh and of course like just this past spring he did the entire champions carnival tour for all japan and he looked amazing in there and he was billed as a heavyweight you know like in drank is just a you know company full of juniors he's a power junior like that's the perception of him but once he gets out of Dragon Gate, he's pushed as like a legit heavyweight star. And so I can see that being a real big appeal for him. But, you know, like this this comes on the heels of like Shima taking like, you know, a bunch of guys. Like he took El Lindemann, uh, T-Hawk. He took Yamamura. Uh, he took the entire, you know, OWE deal with him when he left uh, Dragon Gate. And... You know, it, it hurt their box office, you know, like Kobe World Hall, which is like their kind of WrestleMania show, uh, you know, this past summer, the box office was down. Um, uh, apparently, like I've been reading that the, the Corican shows have got, kind of gone down tennis and the barometer of pretty much any company in Japan, like their business is how well Corican does. Like if you sell out Corican, that means your business overall in Japan is doing really well. If you're not selling out Corican, like by a significant margin, there's something going on with your booking or like the perception of your company that you have to change things right away. So, you know, like Tozawa left, Shima left, took like four dudes with him, like a bunch of other minor guys have left either by, you know, retirement or injury, or they just didn't have anything in the company for them. So they just went freelance themselves. But Shima has been like, the you know, open the dream gig champion. He's been multiple time tag champions. He's always been the leader of a faction of a major faction in, in the company. So this is not good for dragon gate. Um, it's good for him. And it's good for me because I love Shingo and I wanted to see him leave dragon gate and work in other places. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm very, very curious to see where dragon gate goes for, from like this point forward from the from October 7th on. Do you think career-wise and and financially it's best suited for him to just wrestle freelance and and go all over the place or do you see him linking up with an all Japan and and having a new home promotion? I think he'll keep a base where he like like Shuji Ishikawa is a good example. Like all Japan is kind of his base, but he works Big Japan, he works like a bunch of indies, he works um, DDT. I can see Shingo doing that where he's like, okay, this is my home base. I, I give them the bulk of my free time, of my, you know, my, my scheduled dates. But like, th- the thing is, is like, you know, like the WWE just signs everyone in the indies, right? So there's kind of like this void in the American indie scene where, you know, Shingo comes in there, oh, and he's going to be in the Battle of Los Angeles 
this that's you know, right this yeah. uh, this coming weekend right yes he's he's gonna he's probably gonna get a ton of offers from like evolve he's gonna get a ton of offers from like aaw i'm sure and all any other indie that can afford his price tag and i'm sure he's gonna really have a high price tag where he doesn't work for like some you know shitty indie like out in like you know wherever like where there's no like internet service or something he's not gonna work those he's just gonna work for the big ones that can like pay his fee He's going to go to the UK. He's going to make a shitload of money for either RevPro Progress, OTT, you know, Fight Club Pro. He, he's definitely probably going to go to uh, WXW. They can definitely afford him. And I'm sure Walter is like salivating at the chance of like having matches with him over in Germany. So this guy, I think, will have a home base like All Japan that will allow it. I don't think he'd have that kind of freedom if he went to New Japan Pro Wrestling. Um, I don't know if that's a good fit either, but you know we'll see what happens in the summer. I do think like all Japan is probably his best bet because he he did Champions Carnival. Outside of them, maybe Noah, but they have a lot of their own financial issues. And then maybe like Big Japan, we'll see. Uh, all Japan just ran a summer explosion card back uh, the last week of August. And this was headlined by Zeus, who is now the Triple Crown Champion, defending for the first time against the aforementioned Shuji Ishikawa. Uh, I did get to watch this match. Uh, this was a pretty strong show overall. They had about 1,300 people in attendance. Uh, Ishikawa, um, after delivering a splash mountain for a two count, lifted him up off the apron and just dumped him down to the floor, uh, which then led to Zeus's big comeback and winning with the jackhammer. Uh, but they went about a half hour altogether. Um, your thoughts on the match and also going with Zeus as the Triple Crown champion? Well, you know, I, I watched the Miyahara match where he won the title from uh, Miyahara, and I, it was okay. It was in his hometown of Osaka, so the crowd was firmly behind him. But I, I, didn't, I wasn't blown away by that match, and I, and I generally like most of Miyahara's Triple Crown matches. Uh, but I thought this match was the perfect showcase for like to show that he deserves to be a triple crown champion. He can have matches that you associate with that title. It really felt like with all the big moves and all the like the near falls at the end that it felt like a classic triple crown match that you would you would see. You know that people like Kobashi and Kawada Masao would have that in recent years. Kojima when he was a champion when Suwama had the belt. These these this felt like a triple crown match. So in that in that sense, it was a big success. The only problem I had with this match is that I feel it was like a five star match in front of a one one star crowd. I was gonna say like I I watched this and I thought to myself like there's got to be three hundred people in the crowd and I had to uh, go check with the observer that had the attendance listed at thirteen hundred and I was stunned because. This was like the worst placement of 1,300 people. It totally looked like you were in a high school gym with all these empty seats. I totally agree. Like the atmosphere, like they, they made noise, but it was like the visual was a big negative to this match. And when they go to like some other, some of these other arenas that aren't Corican, the, the problem is, is like they're miking. It seems that their shows is really, really bad. So it really comes off sounding like it's a really quiet crowd, which doesn't hurt, help the atmosphere of the match. Uh, apparently, like the uh, Kikoman Arena, this the place they were at in Chiba, is like can hold like maybe two or two thousand five hundred people. So <laughs> having less than half of it full is is really not good. Like if this match was at Corican, Corican for one would be sold out. Two, the place would be going nuts. Definitely, people would be talking about this as like a match of the year contender. But like, this is a perfect case where, you know, lack of crowd, you know, crowd noise or lack of crowd enthusiasm really, really hurt this match. Yeah, this card also saw um, Kento Miyahara losing to uh, Yuji Hino, who I guess is getting primed now for the next title match. And it seems like they're very much trying to not just establish Zeus uh, as your top guy, but also kind of shift away from so much of the focus on Miyahara and Ishikawa as your top guys in the company and trying to introduce some new challengers and some new blood in that triple crown mix. Yeah. Well, he knows an interesting, you know, like you know, choice. If they go with him, I think he can get a title shot. I don't think he's going to win the belt because 
he's he's not a like contracted guy. He's a he's a freelancer through and through. He likes working everywhere. I don't see him signing a like a permanent contract with All Japan. Uh, but they're having this uh, Odo tournament, having the single elimination tournament happening. It's kind of like their version of the the New Japan Cup. I'm pretty sure Hino uh, Hino's going to win that, and he's going to get a title shot probably before the end of the year. But I don't see him beating Zeus. I, I think they're really determined to get Zeus over as on the level of Kento, on the level of Ishikawa, on the level of like of Akiyama, to the point where they can, okay, now we can use him to get like some of these younger guys over that are like on the cusp, like your Nomura's, your Aoyama's, your um who who else was I thinking of? Sorry. Uh Jake Lee. Like these are the guys you kind of like have on the precipice. A couple of more years. Get them seasoned, get them have some big wins, and then they're going to be ready to, you know, challenge for the Triple Crown and kind of take the company into the next five, ten years. We also had the now Michimar Fuji 20th anniversary card where we saw the return of Kenta, who morphed out of his Hideo Atami identity for one night where he got to remember what it was like to wrestle in front of uh, enthusiastic crowds and be in a, a heavily promoted match as he returned to Sumo Hall. I couldn't I could not but like wonder that, what the, that, what was going through this. Oh, I, I would love to have uh, been inside this man's head for these 30 minutes of this match and what he was thinking. Dude, he looked so happy. You know, when I, when I, when he came out, cause I was, I was there live. I, I, I was so fortunate to get tickets for this. Um, and he looked so happy, even though he got, he got beat up a lot. Like when he came out, he looked really happy. And I, I'm pretty sure he didn't care that he was billed as Hideo Tommy. He didn't care that they used his, you know, like NXT 205 live graphic for the screen. Sure. He didn't care that they used his WWE music. I bet he was just happy to be back in Japan. He was happy to be relevant again. He was happy to like have people know who he is and buy his t-shirt. A lot of people were wearing like his special edition t-shirts and these were really expensive. I didn't buy one because they're really expensive. You know, I bought the Marafuji ones, but not the Kenta ones. Cause like it was just too, it was going to break the bank. And I think a lot of them were sold out anyways. Cause like so many people were wearing this stuff. It was amazing. Were you, were you very surprised that they were able to work this out with WWE? And do you think this is indicative of, of more business that the WWE and Noah may do together in the future? Or was this, just a one-off that, you know, Kenta is hardly a major priority. They were made an offer. Sure, send them over. I I think about that map I saw behind Triple H in some <laughs> press conference or something. This was at the Business Partners Summit back WrestleMania weekend where they posted the video and they've talked about the, the globalized uh, expansion where if you're looking at the NXT UK model – like they want to take that NXT brand and create NXT brands all over the world. Yeah. So when when I heard when they announced that you know Kenta was coming back for this match, I thought, ah, oh, they're going to take over Noah at some point. Not maybe not this year, but maybe they'll take it over next year. They'll rebrand it, and that that'll be their NXT Japan, and they'll send Kenta over. They'll send. Tozawa over her. They'll keep Shinsuke in America, but they're going to send those two over. They might send maybe Asuka back, keep Kyrie, keep Yoshirai. I don't know. I, I, I hope not. I don't think it'll, it'll play well in Japan. I don't think the Japanese audience wants to see a foreign company take over one of their homegrown promotions, but it might not be up to them. Like the thing is, is Noah doesn't have any money. Like a lot of these guys, I don't know what they're getting paid, if they're getting paid at all. I've heard rumblings that a lot of these guys do deals where they take cuts of the merchandise or they keep most of the merchandise money. Uh, so they're out hustling. When they're not wrestling, they're out hustling, selling their T-shirts and anything else that they can sell. Um, Go Shizaki is a part-time personal trainer at Kenta Kobashi's gym. That's how little he makes as a full-time wrestler for Noah, apparently. Um, so th- if there's any company ripe, for the WWE to come in and create a business deal with and use their infrastructure to create their NXT brand, it would be Noah. Uh, and it's not like Noah is going to set the world on fire again because they have so many problems with their image, with the you know the Yakuza scandal a couple of years ago. Like they can't get on TV anymore. They don't have access to their footage, so they can't sell any DVDs. 
anything like that. It, they're just in a really bad position. So they be they would be the the natural you know target of the WB to like say, okay, we're gonna take over this company. We're gonna create a deal with them. We're gonna rebrand it into like NXT Japan. Uh, this I believe was their first singles match in five years. Um, going back to 2013. Um, they went about 30 minutes, uh, much like the All Japan match we just described. Uh, you know, they did a lot. Uh, it was a lot of, uh, you know, some of their greatest hits. The audience seemed to really be into it a lot. Um, Atami just built up and teased the GTS several times in. Uh, you had Marafuji going for the, uh, the Shiranui. And then kind of the final stretch was uh, Marafuji landing these uh, bicycle knees and then Kenta was able to hit two GTSs. Marafuji kicks out. He kicked out of several of these GTSs. Then Atami removes the knee pad, and he absorbed uh, three more knees, the super kick, and then a knee to the back of the head, and Marafuji dropped him with the Emerald Flosion uh, to win the match. Um, how was this live? This It sounded like this crowd was buzzing as soon as the bell rung to start the match. Uh, dude, the, from the moment I walked into, like, Sumo Hall, like the lobby where the merchandise uh, was all being sold. There was like this atmosphere of like excitement and nostalgia. Um, the the lineups, by the way, you, you I, I was listening to you guys at the All In show and you're talking about all the merchandise being sold. I, I felt the same way at this Sumo Hall show where like just tons of people were like grabbing everything they could, branded with Marafuji's name on it, branded with like maybe if anything was available for, for like Hideo Tommy, they're they're grabbing that as well, but like I, I had to, I had to go to my seat and then like wait just before the show started. Okay, I ran back downstairs to see what was left. Very little was left. It was unbelievable. I've never been to a show where like they only had like small sizes left or they didn't have any towels left. It was, it was unbelievable. Um, from the start, from the first match and to the end, the like they had the crowd. Like this crowd was a classic. Like maybe like fallen off Noah fans who came back because of this match. And they did a really smart thing. They booked this show like a classic New Japan, uh, Noah card. So you had like the rookies and the, and the veterans in the, like the first two, three matches. And then you started building towards you through your mid card to get your semi main, which had like your, your, your next level stars and to the main event, which had, you know, the, the, the stars of the show who drew the, the whole place in the first place. Um, to, like, and all the matches were pretty good. Like the first two matches were okay. They were they they popped the crowd because it was nostalgic for them. But like I'd say from match four on, it was pretty good quality throughout the whole show. I I recommend watching most like most of this card. Uh, the, did you see the semi main? No, I only saw the main event. Okay, so the semi main was like uh, Jun Akiyama and uh, Asushi Aoki. So we have the president of All Japan and the top junior of All Japan taking on. The, uh, Takashi Sugiera and uh, Daisuke Harada, who are both, you know, the, he's Sugiera is the GHC heavyweight champion, and Harada is the jun- GHC junior heavyweight champion. So you have like this this tension just from like the positions these people had, and then of course Akiyama and um, and Aoki used to be in Noah, and then they they did the big jump with you know uh, Go Shizaki and Kanemaru and Kotaro Suzuki to all japan so there's always been like this kind of tension you saw like kind of tease during the champions carnival with the akiyama marafuji match but they, it was like full tilt like tension between like these kind of rival promotions that aren't actually rival promotions especially with with like akiyama and sugiera in the ring together and this went to a 30 minute drop but it was just it was just the perfect prelude to like the main event well it's it the main event to me, uh, just an awesome atmosphere. Everything we said negative about the uh, the Zeus uh, the Zeus match with uh, Shuji Hishikawa, this atmosphere, the complete opposite. I really think it it enhanced the match a lot. It was a really big deal, and you just watched uh, Hideo Itami, who just said, "You know, guys, I I'm around. I I can do uh, one shots a lot. Uh, if you if you would have me back, I don't really do a whole lot back home uh, in the U.S. now." So I don't was, think Drake Maverick will allow it, John. <laughs> well, you know what? He could maybe book himself on Monday nights where Drake Maverick is now busy as a manager for the the monster heel tag team on Raw. And what ha- 
it seems that the rule on 205 Live is what you do on your Monday nights is your business. And now they're just transitioning. You, you may not have seen Raw yet, but uh, Leo Rush is now going to be managing Bobby Lashley. So that this is going to be the cruiserweights call up is you get to manage a, a big star. Okay, who, who does Drew Gulak manage then? Well, he was back on Raw. He was part of the, the whole crew that had attacked the Shield. So he was there, um, not managing anyone yet, but I feel he's going to be the next managerial call up. Could you can you imagine the, the sliding doors scenario? of Kota Ibushi and Zack Sabre Jr. signing that contract. <laughs> they have got to look at that brand and just think, God, we're, we're, we're the smartest people in, in all of wrestling for not signing with that company. <laughs> <laughs> we were actually considering this. Anyway. That See, the thing is, is like, we talk about like, you know, Omega and the Bucks possibly ju- jumping, right, to the WWE. Kota Ibushi is not going there. <laughs> No, he's not. People who think that he's going to go with Omega to the WB, you're out of your mind. He might not stay in New Japan, but he's not going to the WB. Maybe, maybe he needs to give Vince McMahon a high five. Maybe, maybe that would uh, that that would be the ride along, though. That would be the dream. Kenta, uh, Kota Ibushi, Vince McMahon, a ride along together. No, dude, he'd get lost. <laughs> he would get lost. Once he's in America, he gets lost everywhere, right? Can you imagine, you know, someone trying to sell Vince McMahon on Kota Bushi, and he pops in the tape of him with a, whether it be the blow up doll or you know the shooting off goddamn like sparklers and shit, uh, going through haunted hotels, condemned hotels. I I could feel he he would either love or hate this guy. There would be no in between. I I, I assume some people love him because they they're going to offer him the contract. No, oh, they were no. they were high on him two years ago. I'm sure they would they would jump at the opportunity. Uh, do you want to take us through a bit of the Stardom Five Star Grand Prix that is ongoing? The finals are September 24th at uh, at Corken Hall, and this is essentially uh, their G1. Yeah, it feels like their G1. This has been a pretty like stacked lineup for uh, for Stardom's like uh, Five Star. Grand Prix. This is like the first one I've ever seen because like uh, I didn't get into stardom until recently. So I missed like last year's uh, five star. Um, yeah. So it's divided into two blocks, uh, the red star block and the blue star block uh, in red stars. We have Kagetsu, who's the um, world of stardom champion. We have Junko Kiona, who's a third of the, you know, uh, six women tag team titles, uh, Tom Nakano, Konami, uh, Natsuko Tora, who's also part of the uh, the trios champions, uh, their new super rookie uh, Utami Hayashi. Uh, Hayashi, uh, it's, it's, I've lived here for a long time, but some of the names kind of like get me off. Utami Hayashi Ista. Uh, so she's, I don't know if you know her her deal. So I was at her debut uh, match against Jungle Kiona, and it was a big deal because her father's like this big reality TV star in Japan because he has. 14 kids and she's one of them wow so it's got a lot of uh, like her debut and her involvement with stardom has gotten them a lot of press uh so she's in in there uh rachel ellering and kimberly round out the uh that that particular block in blue stars we have mayu iwatani who's one half of the tag champs uh momo watanabe who is the uh wonder of stardom champion which is kind of like their icy belt uh saki kashima the other half of the tag team champions uh hazuki Natsu Sumier, Kelly Klein, Nicole Savoy, and Jamie Hayter. Uh, I haven't seen everything yet, but for the most part, I've watched a lot of the Mayu matches and the Momo Watanabe matches, and Momo's been like killing it in all her matches. She's looked so good, but that's you know that doesn't surprise me. Ever since that match I saw back in February with her and Io Shirai, she's just been like bringing it, like she's upping her game every every match, every month. And it's and, it, and it she's how old? She's she's, she's what like nineteen? She just turned nineteen. She just finished high school, dude. It's, it's unbelievable. Yeah, if you have not seen this woman, like it is, it's frightening to imagine where she'll be at like twenty two. It's going to be frightening where she is at like like twenty <laughs> six <next> months here. <laughs> yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. Like, it, it's not. It, I'm not joking. Like I'm not being being hyperbole. Like using hyperbole. It's like her growth as a wrestler is just exponential. It's like there's this confidence in her that's unbelievable. And like 
I think her and Hazuki are going to be the ones who like drive this company forward. And you know, it's okay. You left. It's it's not a problem. You have so much talent left in this company, and who are going so much young talent who are going to step up and just you know carry this company for the next five years. Yeah, I, I definitely want to catch up on some of this. Um, just looking at some of the Americans that are involved, I I really enjoy Kelly Klein. She's uh, been kind of a staple of the uh, Ring of Honor's women's division. Kind of plays this, you know, submission wrestler, and I could see her having some great chemistry with a bunch of these women in the uh, the Blue Star in the Blue Stars uh, block. Yeah, she her match with Momo was really really good. So definitely yeah. check that one out as soon as you can. Uh, so far, so in the Red Stars, uh, we're about halfway through this tournament. And in Red Stars, the leader of the of the block is Jungle Kiona at eight points. Uh, at seven points is Kagetsu and Utami. At six points, uh, we have Konami, Rachel Ellering. And in at two points, we have Tom Nakano, uh, Natsuko, and Kimberly. In the Blue Stars block, the leaders is a two-way tie uh, between uh, Momo and Hazuki at seven points each. Uh Mayu Iwatani, Kelly Klein, Nicole Savoy each have six points. Jamie Hayter, Saki Kashima, and Natsu Sumier have two points each. Um, I think the way it's going to go, I think Kiona will win the red block. And I think either Mayu or Hazuki will win the blue. And I think Jungle Kiona is going to take the whole thing in the long run. Because I, I think she's due for a big push. She's kind of been this like overlooked kind of underrated wrestler in the company, but she's she's been killing it as well for the last six months, I got to say. And unlike the G1, these are 15-minute time limit matches, correct? Yes. All right. Well, you can go check that out on Stardom World as they are uh, going through the tournament. And yes, the finals are September 24th, uh, the day after the uh, New Japan's Kobe show. Yeah. Uh, so I have one more show to talk about. Yes, we were going to get to this. So uh, yes, Proceed. So I, I just finished watching the um, Takaya, Takayama Mania Empire uh, show, which is a benefit show held for Yoshihiro Takayama, uh, who was paralyzed like uh, in May 4th, 2017 at, on a DDT show. Um, this was a benefit show, I think, organized by Minoru Suzuki, held August 31st at Korokin Hall. Um, it featured a, 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 you know, a plethora of talent from all across different promotions in Japan. Um, it was a really good show. Um, I, I didn't dislike anything on this show. It was fun throughout the whole thing. Um, the two top matches are the ones I'm going to recommend if you don't have time to watch everything. Uh, watch the six-man tag match with uh, Harashima, Shuji Ishikawa, and Yuji Hino. And they're taking on uh, uh, Kazusada, Hikuchi, Ryotahama, and Suwama. And basically, the, the main crux of this match for me was the, the chop battle between Hino and and Higuchi, and that kind of just brought in everyone else. Um, really fun match. Uh, Hiroshima won the match by pinning, by pinning a fellow DDT wrestler, Higuchi. And then the, the main event was uh, uh, we had like Minoru Suzuki, uh, Masada, and Nosawa Ranagi, who were the All Japan version of Suzuki Gun before you know, Minoru Suzuki uh, migrated over to New Japan. And they took on uh, Taiokea, who's actually also member of Suzuki Gun in all Japan, uh, Tami Chinoku, and uh, Shuji Kondo. Uh, a large part of the story of this match was ta- was Taka taking on Minoru Suzuki and just like trying to you know, like you know try to stand up to him and kind of you know like show I can I can go toe to toe with you and but you know Suzuki was having none of that. He surprisingly beat the shit out of Taka like <laughs> like really just hitting him with like it. He treated Taka like a young lion in New Japan basically. But um, the highlight for me of this match was like Suzuki drags Taka over to the commentator table, right? So at this commentator table is Kensuke Sasaki and Kenny Kobashi. And Minoru Suzuki holds Taka so for, for like Sasaki to chop him. But while Sasaki's getting up to do this, uh, Taka reverses it and he holds uh, Minoru Suzuki in position to get chopped. And Kensuke Sasaki's like, ah, fuck it. And just chops him like about five times. And then everyone starts chanting. Kobashi's name, Kobashi, Kobashi. So Ken Kobashi gets up, spits on his hand, primes it up, and just waylays Minoru Suzuki with an awesome chop. Oh wow! It's, it's so fun. Definitely got your way to see that match. Um, really, really good show overall. Two fun main events. Yeah, I, I, you know, and if you can, there's, there's like 
um, places out there on wrestling Twitter where like you can you can donate money to help offset the medical costs that you know uh, Takayama's facing. Um, he doesn't. I, he's a freelancer. He's been a freelancer for like the last ten years before the accident. I don't think he has insurance. Um, yeah. The Japanese medical system only goes so far, so that's why they do these things. And if you're at a show in Japan, you might see a, a donation box at different um, live shows. That's that's labeled Takayama Mania. You know, please donate. I I try to do it every time I go to a show. I don't always see the box, but if I see it, I usually donate about you know ten bucks each time I go. So yeah, and I know there was a group online that did a great campaign raising a lot of money for him as well and then presented a check to uh, Minoru Suzuki in the past so it's really cool when you hear stuff about that he actually yeah he paralyzed himself he was just off like a sunset flip and I think for him it's you know this is a guy that you know suffered a stroke uh, over 10 years ago as well like he's had lots of um, unfortunate health issues and and this is one that uh, yeah it's, it's very unfortunate but uh, very cool that they put together this benefit show for him. Uh, before we wrap up, we are going to do a new feature here on the monthly show where we are going to get some of WH's picks so you can have some recommendations that you can leave this show with. So let us start off, WH, with your show of the month. The last 30 days, what was what was the show that uh, topped your list? Oh, the uh, Marufuji 20th anniversary show, with, hands down. Nothing top that for me as a live experience. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna be able to go through it on, uh, on, on video right now uh, because I, I finally got a copy of it. So I'm looking forward to watching it from that perspective. Um, yeah, any, I, let me just say as a, as a kind of addendum to my previous comments, I'm so happy that Noah had this experience. Like I don't know where they're gonna go from here, but it was really nice to see Noah have a sumo hall show that drew. You know, six hundred, six thousand plus fans. So it just made me so happy to be able to be a part of that. Yeah, that's a that, it's a great number that Noah can do in 2018 if they can get six thousand people to Sumo Hall. Uh, your pick for performer of the month? Uh, um, I'm gonna have to say uh, Momo Watanabe. You know, she's just been really bringing it. She she's already a champion. But she goes into this tournament and she's just kicking people really, really hard, and it brings a smile to my face. And it seems like there's a lot of candidates over what we have discussed over the past hour. But your match of the month, you know, it was hard to, to just pick one, so I have a tie. All right. Uh, so Naomichi Marafuji versus Hideo Tommy from the uh, September first twentieth anniversary show, and the Golden Lovers versus uh, Tomohiro Ishii and Will Osprey from uh, the the Destruction show this uh what was it was it monday no it was on the 7th so that was on uh man friday on friday yeah both both are different but amazing in their own ways please go out of your way to see it yeah i mean that tag match i'm kind of stunned it hasn't gotten more uh focus i think that there's somewhat of a lull people have on New Japan after the G1 that they'll get back into it maybe this weekend with the Omega match. But, man, do not sleep on that tag match. I seriously thought it was one of the best tag matches this year. And this is a year that has had – when you uh, take into account the uh, the NXT tag division this year and some of the matches they've put out with um, with the uh, Tyler Bate and Trent Seven and the Undisputed Era, like this has been a pretty solid year of tag matches. And this match was right up there. It was a – phenomenal match there's a lot of good tag matches in japan that people don't get to see because they're not on streaming services you know like i just uh finished um before we went on the air like we were we were going to talk about the russell one september 2nd show but i hadn't seen all of it yet but i just finished watching t hawk and l lindeman fight uh shuji kondo and koji doi for the russell one tag team champion championships amazing just such a good tag match like there's always good tag matches somewhere in all japan in Dragon Gate, it's it's there's always like a tag match. Like, just go out and like explore. If you like tag team wrestling, more so than like the United States, it it really thrives outside of New Japan in like other companies in in Japan. It definitely, definitely. Uh, you know, all Japan. I think they have a really great tag division as well. And yeah, that's that's one of the areas that you know so much attention is on New Japan, but especially their their heavyweight tag division. Um, yeah, I, I think it's very hit and miss. It very much depends on kind of what the 
the mood of the division is. And it is somewhere where I, I think you can seek out a lot of great tag teams uh, in that part of the world. So that is going to wrap things up. Uh, WH and I will be back next month. Uh, maybe we'll aim to do a show right before King of Pro Wrestling. So we can be coming off of uh, Long Beach and going into uh, the insanity that will be King of Pro Wrestling, where... Uh, who knows what is going to headline that show? Do you have a prediction of what's going to headline King of Pro Wrestling on this uh, mid-September uh, forecast? Um, I'm going to go out on a limb with the thought process that New Japan thinks Kenny Omega is going to leave, and they're going to book Ibushi versus Omega for that show. Yes, I I hope they don't, but I can very well see that happening, and that's that's the whole issue of like this contract is that if he if you know he's staying that's probably a match you want to hold on to and i think that'd be a great match for madison square garden but you don't know that you don't know 100% what's going to be happening and those guys are probably keeping their cards pretty close to the vest and are not going to commit one way or another now when their deals aren't up for several months world could change very rapidly in these uh coming weeks and months so that's going to wrap things up uh for those that want to follow you wh uh are you open to people following you or is this the only glimpse they get into the world of WH Park? You can follow me on Twitter. I talk a lot of shit on Twitter about wrestling. So if you like that part of like my, my, my shtick, so to speak, then follow me on Twitter at WH Park nine. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. I, I don't do my social media outside of Twitter. It's just reserved for my friends. So Twitter is a place where like people can contact me and, interact with me he's a great follow i recommend it a man that will be your your passageway to to all things uh japanese wrestling and just life in general wh park a a great uh gps for the world at large so there you go go follow him at wh park nine uh we'll be back next week and please leave any feedback or comments up at forum.postwrestling.com and we'll speak with you later on this week